Father, we continue today to express to you how much we do place our faith and trust in you. God, I thank you for the opportunity for us to just turn our face towards you. Lift up our hearts to you. And hear you say to us, I love you. I made you to love me. And God, we want to express our trust and our faith in you today as we turn our eyes upon you and look full in your wonderful face. God, how I pray that the things of this world would grow strangely dim as we just pour out our hearts to you. God, you know the, the burdened hearts that are here. You know the celebrating hearts that are here. You know that in all circumstances, you're the same. You're trustworthy. God, I pray that today would be a day as we worship you, as we lift up our praise to you, and as we bless your name. I pray that this would be a day in which we take another step in truly putting our total trust and our total faith in you. God, thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for calling us and drawing us now to worship your holy name, your trustworthy name. And we continue to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite our children now as um, we are opening up our Bibles to the book of Colossians to be dismissed to your place of, of worship, your place of, of celebration. We're so thankful to be part of a church where we can worship as a family together. And we just are excited about, um, about our children and about the example that you're setting for them in worship as we join our hearts and worship together. Uh, for the last several months now, in fact, since Easter, we've been in the Old Testament, we've been in the Psalms. But today we are opening up a new chapter between now and Thanksgiving. We're going to be in Colossians, uh, the New Testament letter way over in the book of uh, the Bible, way over toward the end of the, of the Bible. Uh, if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up and keep it open there. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So there we are. And we're going to be there between now and Thanksgiving. Every day, you know and I know that our world is filled with news. I mean, a part of our life cycle, a part of our everyday ordinary activity in life is hearing news and keeping up with the news. It's tempting, though, to pick up only on the bad news. Because, I mean, every day, let's just be honest, there's lots of it. I mean, there's lots of bad news out there at this very moment in our world today. News of wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and unbelievable evil deeds stream live every day and come into our mind and in some ways might even affect our lives. But I'm glad to announce today that that's not the whole story. There's lots of stories every day about good news that's out there in our world. Uh, your favorite sports team wins. 
For you, that's good news. For the other team, that might not be good news. But for you, that's good news. Uh, Your medical report comes back with a negative result. And that's good news. Uh, The hurricane turns out to sea and disappears into the open sea. Uh, That's good news. Uh, It's been an unusual week for me. Last Monday morning on Labor Day, I got up way before daylight and I I drove over to Birmingham to meet my brand new grandson, Reuben. Uh, He has ten fingers and ten toes and uh, his four-year-old little sister loves him uh, most of the time (laughs) and uh, that's good news I mean we we have good news to celebrate good news to share about that new life that has burst into this world for the next few months we are going to turn our attention as I said toward this little letter Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. We call the little letter Colossians. And we're going to be looking at what it means to be alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. Uh, Paul experienced a a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And you can read about that story of the author of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see where in chapter 9, he surrendered his life to Jesus and then spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus, about the experience that he had had with Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Uh, The word gospel, as a matter of fact, means good news. Uh, In the New Testament, it, it refers to the announcement that Jesus brought the reign of God to this world through His life and through His death and through His resurrection from the dead. And in this letter, Paul wrote to the Colossian church, in this letter he affirmed his passion for the good news of Jesus Christ, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that from today, throughout the Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and weeks between those Sundays, between now and Thanksgiving, that we will get as excited about the good news of Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul was. Uh, A few years before he wrote the letter to the Colossians, he wrote another letter to people he had never met before, Christians in Rome. And in that letter to the church at Rome, here's what he said in chapter 1 and verse 16 of Romans. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All of the life that Paul lived after he met Jesus and after his life was transformed by Jesus He was so excited about the good news of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ had changed his life that he couldn't help but tell about it. He couldn't help but talk about it. He couldn't help but share it. And because of his commitment to sharing the truth about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he was actually put in prison in Rome. That's why he was in Rome when he wrote this letter. It was from the imprisonment in Rome that he wrote this letter affirming that Jesus Christ is Lord 
of all creation. Paul was so committed to the truth of the gospel that about two years after he wrote this letter to the Colossian church, he was martyred. He gave his life celebrating the gospel of Christ which carried him into his home in eternity. So for today, as we turn to uncover part of the introduction to this letter, we want to see how we can be alive in Christ to the same degree that the Apostle Paul was. What does it mean to be alive in the gospel? There are four things I just want us to briefly look at this morning. And as I said, we're going to be unpacking this as we move all the way between now and Thanksgiving. But first of all, the gospel offers life in Jesus. The gospel offers life in Jesus. In verses 1 and 2 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So again, let me remind you, if you go back and read from the book of Acts, chapter 9 through the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul shares over and over again that in his early life, he was aggressive and according to the standard of the religious world, very successful at persecuting Christians. He was a Pharisee. He had sat at the seat of one of the, uh, at the feet of one of the most popular teachers of his day, the, a man called Gamaliel. And he had learned as he studied the Old Testament scriptures he had become a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to his own testimony. He persecuted Christians until one day he met Jesus face to face. And when he met Jesus face to face, that changed everything about his life. He turned from being a persecutor of Christians to being a preacher of the gospel. He met Jesus and then he repented of all the sin that he had committed against God because he realized that in fighting against Christians and fighting against Christianity, he was fighting against God. Are you aware that until you come to know Jesus, you are an enemy of God as well? You're fighting against God because he's drawing you, he's calling you to be part of his family. And when Paul met the resurrected Jesus, it changed everything about his life. Today, if you feel God calling you to come to know him, if you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ before, today your life could be radically transformed. Your life could be changed just like the life of the apostle Paul was. Some of you know what it feels like to be a follower of Christ. Some of you know what it feels like to have responded to the gospel and given God an opportunity to totally and radically change your life. You know what it's like to share life with Jesus and share faith in Jesus with other people. Others of you here today never have taken that step of faith. And I want to challenge you today to let today be the day where you wake up and come to life and begin to know Jesus and let Him transform your life and 
allow you to spend the rest of your life experiencing real life and expressing that real life by sharing it with other people. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, the scripture says. Paul was given equal authority with apostles, those who had been handpicked by Jesus and walked with Jesus for three years. He was given equal authority with them by the will of God, he says. See, see God has the power to take a life that's far from Him and transform that life by His very will into being one who knows, knows God through Christ and spends the rest of your life celebrating life in Christ and sharing that good news with other people. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. See, Paul becoming a believer in Christ wasn't Paul's idea. <laughs> it was far from his idea. It was God's idea. And if you feel God knocking at your heart today, if you feel Jesus knocking at your heart today, it's the will of God for you to take that step of faith and admit your sin before God, just like Paul did. Repent of your sin and turn away from it. And turn to making all of your life about following Jesus and knowing Jesus. Well, Paul had shared the gospel everywhere he had gone. In verse 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. On Paul's first missionary journey, Paul had shared the gospel with the mother and with the grandmother of a young man named Timothy. And on his second missionary journey, he went to Eastern Asia Minor, which today is Turkey, about 200 miles east of Ephesus. And once again, he revisited that church that had birthed and been growing in uh, the area of Colossae. And he found a young man there named Timothy, who was the son and grandson of two women in the church. And he recognized something special about Timothy. And so he invited Timothy to join his life and join his mission on the rest of those missionary journeys, encouraging those churches, and even then later assigned Timothy to be a pastor of some of those churches. Timothy was a young man who heard the good news of Jesus Christ from his mother and grandmother and accepted the gospel and let the gospel transform his life and then began to grow in becoming a solid believer so that Paul would recognize that and handpick him to be his mentoree. Paul discipled and mentored Timothy. He became a brother and a son in the gospel ministry with Paul. And then Paul turned him loose to make disciples in other churches. That's the way discipleship works. Discipleship works in a, in a, in a natural way by you coming to know Christ and letting someone pour into you and teach you how to be a follower of Christ. And then you take someone else and pour into them and teach them to become a follower of Christ. And then the multiplication process happens by disciples making disciples. This is a perfect model for that. See, when you know Jesus, when you come to give your life to Him and let Him transform your life, you want to share Him with other people. 
You want to share the good news of Jesus. What Jesus is teaching you, you teach to others. You say, Ronnie, what does it mean for me to share the gospel? Well, it starts, first of all, by you knowing Jesus. And then after you know Jesus, you just tell other people what you've been taught about Jesus and how you've learned to walk with Jesus and how you're learning to share Jesus with others. This wasn't Paul's idea. It was the idea of Jesus. In, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, and verse, in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, as Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, here's what he said to you and me, Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus instituted a process here. You know him, and then you share what he has done in your life with other people. It's not complex. It's very simple. And Jesus gave every believer, including you and me, that commission. We all need a Paul to teach us truth from Jesus. And we all need a Timothy to be teaching and to be mentoring in how to know Jesus and make Him known in our circle of influence. In Dustin Willis's book, Life on Mission, he shares that there is nothing more freeing than abandoning your own mission and joining the everyday mission of God. I love that. Nothing more freeing, nothing that gives you true life more than abandoning your mission and joining the everyday mission of God. Everyday missionaries are those who practice life on mission right where God has planted you. You bloom where you're planted. You don't have to go to another place in the world or another place in our country to share, be on mission with God. It starts right where you are. In fact, you're not going to be effective around this country or around the world in sharing the gospel of Christ, the good news, the life-changing power of the gospel of Christ with other people around the world until you start doing it at home. And so Paul was encouraging the church because they were being responsible with the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has a plan for you to share life with Him and then share life with other people by sharing with others what He has shared with you. I'll never forget sitting in a retreat setting a couple of years ago. I think it was in 2018 in Columbia, South Carolina. And Dr. Chuck Lawless was sharing the story. He grew up in a non-Christian home. And he was sharing the story about how he came to faith in Christ. He said when he was in, listen to this, the seventh grade, seventh grade in middle school, according to Dr. Lawless, and I quote, a seventh grade 
young Pentecostal evangelist every day would meet him at the front door of school. And he would say, Chuck, I'm glad you're still alive today and didn't die last night because if you had died last night, you would be in hell today. But you can give your life to Jesus today. <laughs> now that might not have been the best method of sharing the gospel in the world. Although for Chuck, it was a wake-up call. It helped him understand that there was something out there that he missed, that he had missed and that he needed. And fortunately, eventually, he gave his life to Jesus. But he'll never forget that seventh grade young man who was faithful and caring enough about him to share the good news of the gospel with him. The gospel is life, real life to us. Secondly, the gospel draws you to prayer. In verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, for Paul, these were not just empty words. I trust and pray that prayer is not just something that you talk about. It's not just something that's a passing word for you. In verse 3, he says, Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Always means that prayer was not a last resort for Paul. It was a, it was a first response that he had. Prayer is more than just putting an emoji with folded hands on a, on a text message. I mean, that's fine to do that. But if you're going to put that emoji on there, actually pray for that person. Actually lift that, that request up before God. Uh, prayer is not just saying that you're going to pray for somebody. It's actually going before God and laying your life before Him and opening up your heart to Him. And Paul is going to give us an illustration here of how that works. Because prayer is appropriate in all situations. Some of you know who've been around here for a while that I'm part of a group of pastors, about eight or ten pastors. We've been getting together for over 30 years, once or twice a year. We fellowship together and we urgently pray for one another while we are together. But in, in the weeks in between when we're not together, just about every week we send out requests to pray for one another. Uh, several weeks ago, we received one of these text messages that was very serious. One of the founders of our group, one of the leaders of our group, a guy by the name of Hub, who's a very dear, godly man, was going into the hospital to just have a minor uh, surgical procedure. Um, he, he had uh, like gallstones and they were, gonna re they were gonna punch about three holes. I know how that works, but they were gonna punch some holes in him and take out, blast those stones and take them out. Well, unfortunately, the surgeon uh, hit an organ and bile was released throughout his whole system, which turned to gangrene. And over two or three weeks, it was touch and go whether the hub was even going to live or not. The very first thing his wife Brenda did was send out a prayer request to our group and ask us to urgently pray for him. And then almost daily, we would get updates, we would get reports, and it would go up and down and up and down and up and down. 
I'm happy to announce that yesterday he went home from the hospital, and that turned out to be really good. But my point is, we didn't just say we were going to be praying for Hub and Brenda. We literally, urgently went before God with our request and begged God on behalf of our brother. So Paul begins the letter of Colossians by recognizing some things about prayer that is a part of this introductory greeting that runs all the way through the letter. What is, what is prayer? What is the nature of prayer? Why is it important to pray? He says in verse 3, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Well, he exposes a number of things about prayer. First of all, prayer recognizes the, the, the power of divine God. Look at what he says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, every Wednesday morning at 6.30 in this room, a group of people come together and we, we start out by praising God and thanking God for who He is. Because He is the one to whom our prayers go. We don't pray so other people can hear us pray. We pray because God is divine. He is our creator. He is uh, the one that our prayers are offered up to. So when you pray, make sure that you take time to begin by thanking God for who He is. Like we just sang the song. I mean, uh, God is faithful. And we can lift up our thanks as we begin our prayer to Him. Prayer begins by thanking God. Now, Paul had some very serious matters that he needed to address before the church at Colossae. But before he got into those matters, he gave thanks to God, and he said, I always give thanks to God in my prayers for you. Another thing about prayer, prayer recognizes that Jesus is human. Uh, he says, we always give thanks, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the name of God. When God became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus is 100% God, but He's also 100% man. And that's important for you and me to realize. Uh, Jesus is the earthly name for a God who loved us enough to become one of us, to become flesh. And as a human, are you aware that Jesus experienced everything that you experience? He experienced hunger. He experienced pain. He experienced celebration. He experienced being rejected. He experienced everything that you and I experience. So He knows how to answer your prayer and respond to your needs when you go before Him and pray. Prayer also recognizes not only that there's power in prayer as divine by recognizing God, there's uh, power in prayer because we recognize Jesus as human, but this phrase that Paul uses we always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the word for Messiah, for the Savior, for the one who is going to set us free. And for you and me, there's 
a wealth of, of encouragement in that phrase that Jesus is the Christ. He's the only one that can set you free from your sin. He's the only one that can give you salvation from your sin. He is our Savior. And so God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's for you. He wants to take all the resources that are inside Himself and share them with you. And that's part of the gospel. That Jesus loves you. He's one of you. He's a friend. He comes alongside of you. He can rescue you from sin. He can encourage you through suffering. And He can guide you as your sympathizing leader. Do you know Him today? Have you come to the point where the gospel is not just something you hear about, but something you have experienced? And the gospel calls us to prayer. To turn our hearts toward the one who cares and the one who can do something to encourage us. The gospel draws you to prayer. Thirdly, the gospel instills hope. In verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for us in heaven, for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So hope is expressed in a number of ways that Paul reminds us here. First of all, hope is expressed in love. News came to Paul of how much the Colossian church loved each other and loved all believers. Do you see it in verse 4? Since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. People often ask me, you know, why, why do you want to join a church? Well, one of the main reasons that the Bible, especially the New Testament, calls us to be part of a local fellowship, a local church is because we have the opportunity to truly share love with one another. Somebody has a disaster, a tragedy in their family, and the church hears about that, and we rally around, and, and we show our love for one another. We demonstrate our love for one another. While I was in Zambia, I was blown away by how much our missionaries, Ken and Karen, love the Zambian people. They're not threatened by disease or by cultural differences or by safety issues that could divert the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in that country. Our missionaries have earned the right and the respect of people who, who look differently from them, who speak a different language from them, and who have a very different economic standard of living than they do. But they love Zambians. Uh, we met together in a building that you financed to be constructed. Our church financed back in 2020. And there were over 300 children hearing the gospel in that room. And it was so encouraging to see our missionaries out there dancing with those children and singing with those children. And uh, some of us had the opportunity to share our, our stories and to share Bible stories with those children. And it was so obvious to me 
that those missionaries love the church that God has planted there that they're a part of. That's what hope does. Hope is expressed in love. Also, hope looks forward to heaven. Paul mentioned the fact that because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. When Paul wrote this letter, he didn't know it at the time, but he was looking down the barrel of heaven. Two years later, he was martyred. You don't know when that day is coming for somebody close to you, somebody that you love. You don't even know when that day is coming for you. You're not promised another day. You could be looking down the barrel of heaven. I could be looking down the barrel of heaven just like Paul was when he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. And so the point is, we need to be ready for heaven. Because that's where we're going to spend eternity. God created you and me with a soul. And that soul is going to live forever. Either in heaven with God or in hell separated from God. And if we really believe that, it's going to give us an attitude and a perspective about how we live our lives before other people who need the gospel, who need to come to know Christ. See, the door of heaven is open through Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter to Colossians. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There's no other way. If you're going to come to God, you have to come to Him through Jesus. And Jesus and Jesus alone opens the door to God's heaven. So as we work through this letter... We're going to see how very important it is to live a life with a heavenly hope. To live a life that's consistent with the gospel that points people toward what somebody who's going to heaven looks like. And that, hopefully and prayerfully, is you. See, every ministry we have in this church and every ministry we support through this church should operate according to a heavenly standard. This earth is not our final home. We live like this is going to be it. This is our. It's not. We have a heavenly hope in the gospel. And Paul reminds us of that. And then also, the gospel instills hope that is contagious. When you, when you know something that's good, when you know something that's worth having and worth sharing, you want to share it with other people. Look at verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Hope is contagious. If you had a cure for cancer and you shared the cure for cancer with the whole world, you would be excited about sharing that and the whole world would be excited about that. The greatest need that this world has is not cancer. The greatest need that this world has is the sin problem that separates us from God. 
And you and I have the hope for the remedy of that greatest problem in this world. And that is the gospel. And when we share the gospel, it's contagious. Paul looked at the message that he received from the Colossian church. And he said in verse 6, it is bearing fruit and it is increasing. Why? Because it's good news. And sharing the hope of the gospel bears fruit. When you plant those seeds, when you share that gospel, it's going to bear some fruit. Jesus used this analogy in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So when we share the gospel, what we're sharing is Jesus. He is the hope of the world. He is the center of the gospel. And only Jesus can bear fruit, but He wants to use your life to plant that seed that produces fruit in other people. Paul praised the Colossian church for being true to the gospel, for sharing the gospel and bearing fruit and increasing. Believers in Jesus Christ were bearing fruit around the world, increasing because they were faithful in living and sharing the gospel of hope. You know, that can be you today. Some of you have family members who are far from God. Some of you have friends who are far from God. And just a word of sharing the gospel with them could change their whole eternity just like Chuck Lawless's seventh grade friend did for him. This could be you. And this is the challenge from our message today because the gospel is the hope of the world. And you're invited to bear fruit for Jesus today. You are. And I pray that you'll let your life produce fruit so that those in your household, those around you, your friends, your neighbors, can at least have a chance to respond to the gospel as you share that with them. I'm not sure that there's ever been a time in the world where the world needed hope any more than it does today. And you have the answer to that greatest need. That's why God has you here in this world now. Today, at this particular time, at this particular place. He had Paul in the world 2,000 years ago for his particular time and place. He has you and me here today to believe in Jesus and then take the good news of Jesus and share it with our family and friends. So the gospel offers life in Jesus. It draws us to prayer. It distills hope. And then finally today, the gospel highlights partnership. Uh, we see that in verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So faithful servants like Epaphras share the gospel. Uh, Jesus launched his ministry. When he launched his ministry, he had 
his disciples that for three years he poured life into so when he was gone they could spread the gospel, the good news that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. Now, Paul and Timothy, you know, they were, they were high-profile leaders in the explosive gospel movement in the first century. But the gospel exploded more so because of the thousands and thousands and through the generations today, even the millions of faithful servants who were not high profile. They were just everyday, ordinary believers in Christ, like Epaphras, who were lesser known partners in sharing the gospel, but even more important partners in sharing the gospel. And I'm talking about you and me today. I'm talking about people whose name will never appear in the newspaper probably, will never be platformed on big stages, but are just faithful as Epaphras was. Paul points out here he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He was a fellow servant to Paul. He was a faithful minister of Christ. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. And I'm here today to tell you that God is calling you to be like Epaphras. To take what God has done for you if you're a believer and simply let other people know what Jesus has done for you. That's the power of the gospel to transform lives when you are willing to know Jesus, surrender your life to Him, and then faithfully share the gospel with those around you. So what's keeping that from being you today? What's more important in your life than knowing that God wants to use you to change the eternity and change the life, transform the life of some other people through you. See, you can be a believer in Christ who makes all of life about Jesus. And when you do that, you can follow with a servant heart and say, God, I don't have much to offer, but whatever I have to offer, I give to you. Father, whatever work you want me to do, I give my life to you to celebrate you in my life. God, however you want me to fulfill your mission through the church, I give my life to you to use me. See, you can be the hands and feet of Jesus today. You can be a friend to someone who comes alongside of them and prays for them. Like Paul was praying for the Colossian church. You can be a friend who comes alongside them and prays for them and lifts them up before the throne of God. Remember, it starts by becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. That's where the gospel starts. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, I encourage you to do it today. But some are called to do more than that. Some are called to go. Some of you may be here today and God may be calling you to be a missionary. He may be calling you to do like Ken and Karen and invest your life somewhere around the world, somewhere else in this country, in North America or South America, and share the gospel. A few are called to do that. But listen, 
All of us are called to pray. All of us are called to take our resources and commit them to God to be used to share the gospel around the world. Are you aware that as a member of this church, you're a part of what's called the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board where every state in this country, in North America, South America, every country, every country around the world has missionaries that are being supported by your generous gifts and offerings. Way to go, Palmetto Shores. That's a part of being a member of a church that is sharing the gospel both through our personal lives as well as through what we give around the world. A highlight of my mission trip this past summer, some of us were there in Zambia and we had the opportunity to to leave the comforts of the base camp and spend a couple of hours out on the road at a soccer camp I think I've missioned before. But there were eight different teams, about a hundred soccer players in that, in that uh, little tournament. And every halftime of every game, we had the opportunity to share the gospel with a couple of the teams that would come in who would be playing the next game. In the process of that day, about 30 young men surrendered their life to Jesus. There's, there's, a, there's a pastor there named Gibson. Gibson's church is 16 miles from where he lives, and he walks back and forth from his church, which is st- common in, in, in Zambia. But he and other pastors like him are discipling people, young men who come to know Christ through the kinds of efforts that we spent and shared there in Zambia. My point is, God wants to use you wherever you are corporately with other people around the world to engage in in sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. I want you to imagine this as I come to a close today. Imagine that you give your life to Jesus and you're willing to share what God has done in your life with other people and faithfully, consistently do that and pray for other people that you've never met before like Paul did and Give financially to support missions around the world. Imagine one day somebody comes up to you in heaven and somebody says, thank you. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Because you shared the gospel, I met Jesus and he transformed my life. He changed my life. And I'm here in heaven today because you gave because you prayed because you went and because you shared I don't think there's any higher honor in life than that faithfully sharing the gospel which is the hope of the world which is the only source to life on this earth and life in eternity and I pray that that will be what you commit to before God today from this introductory passage and the introduction to the book of Colossians. The gospel is God's plan to transform your life. The gospel is God's plan to transform people from spiritual death to spiritual life. The gospel is God's plan to take a person who hates God and who's running away from God And transform that life into one who will...
be used by God to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people around us. To be alive in the gospel is to truly live abundantly both now and eternally. The gospel leads people to heaven on earth. And we're going to continue between now and Thanksgiving to unpack what that looks like in our life. I pray today that you will come to know Jesus through the power of His, his gospel, His good news. I pray today that you will be ready to fight for the gospel. I pray today that you will be ready to fight against sin. I pray today that you will be ready to pursue holiness and live a distinctively Christian life so that others can see Jesus in you and be drawn to Jesus through you. So what does it mean to be alive in the gospel? Well, it means to know Jesus and make all of life about Him. So I challenge you today to come to life and be alive in the gospel by knowing Jesus and sharing Him simply, every day in an ordinary way with people that come across the path of your life. God, thank you today for sending us here to hear your word and to, to worship you by committing our life to being an open book for others to see Jesus in us. And God, I pray today that when your Holy Spirit knocks on our heart's door, whether it's to say yes to Jesus for the first time or step across that line of faith and publicly commit to following Jesus, or whether it means to be more consistent in living out loud before other people, to see Jesus in our life and to, for them to hear us tell the story of how God transformed our life through the power of the gospel. God, I pray that our attitude would be to say yes to you and commit our life to whatever you call us to be, whatever you call us to do. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship now 